0: Hello, and welcome to the Woodard Report Podcast, where we empower business advisors to transform businesses. This podcast is your source for information and news you need for your accounting, bookkeeping, or tax practice. And it is proudly sponsored by Expensify. For more information about Expensify, please visit woodard.com podcast. And now your hosts, Joe Woodard and and Heather Satterley, well folks, I'm here today with Randy Johnston. And we're talking about the book by Michio Kaku, who a lot of you may have seen in shows like The Universe on the History Channel. Um, he is a theoretical physicist, uh, a real life Sheldon Cooper, though he might say Sheldon Cooper is a fictitious hymn. Um, but uh, I would recommend that you read the book that we're talking about today. It's called Quantum Supremacy." Um, and you don't have to be an astrophysicist to understand it. He's really good about putting it into terms that everybody can appropriate. But uh, the quantum computing revolution is going to be something drastically different. And I'm going to tease it out and I'm going to let Randy talk about what it is because that's his thing. Um, He's the IT guy. For those of you that don't know Randy Johnston, he has been in the business of providing managed services before there was a term called managed services, When he was still crawling around under desks several decades ago installing computers and local area networks, and now he's doing that in the modern world, of course, Um, but he's also one of the nation's leading thought leaders um, in the accounting industry and maybe even in the world in that category. And uh, we share a designation as the top 100 most influential people in the accounting industry, which Randy has held, as I have, for over 10 years. So uh, it's a privilege to have Randy with us. I'm going to actually introduce him and welcome him here in a minute to the conversation. But to tee up the topic, quantum computing is is not just the next stage of innovation. It is a revolutionary and disruptive technology and as we're going to talk about in a minute, to keep you listening all the way to the end, after we learn what it is, we're going to be talking about its positive and negative implications on the world. And I'm not being hyperbolic. Quantum computing is positioned to cure cancer, to stop people from aging, to accelerate our pathway to colonizing Mars and possibly even creating a single equation to understand our universe. And none of those things are hyperbolic. <laughs> so um, in the negative sense, um, it is a, a, it could be an apocalyptic level threat to uh, security, privacy, and even toppled nation states. So uh, again, and I'm not being hyperbolic. So now that I've teased that out and I've got your attention, um, I'm going to welcome Randy Johnston, our technological expert to the to the uh to the podcast. Randy, welcome.
1: Well, Joe, thank you so much and it's a pleasure to be with you and all of your listeners. What a fun topic to talk about.
0: It's an amazing topic to talk about. And I will admit, Randy, before I heard you talk about it, you and I had a conversation in the context of data security a couple of years ago. And I didn't understand uh, the full implications of quantum computing. I did think it was just sort of, you know, Pentium chip number, you know, nine or t- 12 or whatever number we're on. Uh, but it's it's um it's not that it's not just uh, to put it in terms that that Heather used in our last podcast. It's not an incremental innovation or, or uh, it, it's it's a disruptive innovation. It's, right. it's so absolutely- tell us what it is now that I've intrigued everybody. What is quantum computing? How does it work and why? How's it drastically different?
1: Yeah, this is a revolutionary change, not an evolutionary change. And at the risk of being uh, sounding too technical, Joe, and I'm not trying to, all of our computers today operate off of bits, ones and zeros. And I've referred to those through the years as von Neumann computers, because that's where a lot of that came from, or Turing computers. And this is a completely new way of building computers. And instead of using bits, binary digits, we're going to use qubit or quantum bits. And a bit in the binary world, in our current digital world that we use for our personal computers, many computers, mainframes, and cell phones, it's all ones and zeros. But in this new world, you can have unlimited number of states in every qubit. And Joe, I think for the last seven to eight years, I've been claiming that if we get a quantum computer with 500 qubits, it will outperform any computer that we have today of any size and scale. And it turns out today, Google has 72 qubit computers running in their bristlecone chips. So now, again, trying to be a little too technical, qubits are really multiple states maintained at the same time. And what's hard to picture is we used to talk about it as four states, But the current designs of quantum computers can have unlimited states in every qubit.
0: So, and I know we are getting technical, but this is really good to know. And a lot of people understand binary code. Um, But when you talk about four states, um, how does that compare to the ones and zeros so they can understand the implications of more than four states?
1: Yeah, well, it turns out it is almost infinite representations of data. Hmm. So, you know, uh, I think the way uh, Michio talks about it in the book, which is actually important to understand, if you think about walking across the room from one position to another, most of us use the old uh, Pythagorean approach. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And so we think about our path from going one position to another as singular. But it turns out there's infinite number of paths to get from one point to another. And that's what qubits can do for us. So all of a sudden, instead of being limited by the amount of storage that we have in memory or that we have on solid state drives or that we have in cloud computers, we now have an unlimited amount of data that we can process at once. Now, I like Joe to go back to our brains to think about this, because with so much hyper uh, uh, talk around artificial intelligence, what AI is trying to do is mind the function of our brains in many cases. And we have these extensive neural networks and you know, we could talk brain science for a long time. I'd be super excited about that too. But these quantum computers can represent the neural networks of our brain just as effectively as our brains are doing, I believe.
0: And, and can I add, since we don't understand how our brains work fully or even, you know, uh, you could say even partially. I mean, we just wouldn't know what the the, the surface understanding of even how our own brains work. Um, we can actually understand our brains while it mimics our brain. So it's, it's, uh it will both inform us and mimic us at the same time. Um, and that kind of gets us into some of the medical implications we're going to talk about in the future. So um, so let's kind of drill down on this because you you kind of brought in the artificial intelligence piece. And, and really, to understand the implications of quantum computing, you can separate it from artificial intelligence because there are components of it that are just complete you know, data mining and data crunching and analytics. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But you can't have this conversation without talking about artificial intelligence because, like you said, it becomes the neural network for the AI brain. It gives it the, the, uh, the power it needs to reach its full potential. So um, so the Turing test, which a lot of our listeners know about and which Michio talks about, um, is can a, uh, when a computer can fool someone to, into thinking that it is a human, um, it will pass the Turing test. And uh, I think there's a certain time frame that it has in order to convince you. Um, so... When artificial intelligence meets quantum computing, we're kind of in the Blade Runner days, if if everybody knows that science fiction genre, where the biggest challenge of the Blade Runner universe was figuring out who were the humans and who were the robots, um, because we were so much alike.
1: Yeah. And, in fact, um, that that time frame is 20 minutes, Joe. Okay. And, you know, the bottom line on this is very straightforward. Um, artificial intelligence has been around a long time. You know, the first concepts were back in 1950. The first conference in 1956 at Dartmouth on this uh, was done. Uh, I personally was writing artificial intelligence products on Lisp in 1976. So interesting. So, and, and I can give you a whole timeline on this. And in fact, uh, next year at your conference, I'll do exactly that. Uh, as it turns out, but the net, net, all of this is that the Turing test really with this 20 minute conversation is trying to get us closer to two key attributes, general artificial intelligence and sentience. In other words, having a conscious, you and I both know each other's personalities well enough. I can, I can kind of guess how you'll react in different situations. Cause I think I understand the the way you think not entirely, of course, cause you're you and me's me, but I know in any given situation that you're going to do the right thing. And and you'll try to understand what that right thing is. Well, these artificial intelligence models that can run on top of quantum are trying to get to that state. But I think we're 15, 20 years, maybe a little further on that. In the meantime, though, separating artificial intelligence from quantum, we will be able to process untold amounts of data. And in this new world we're heading into, we are getting untold amounts of data. So I'm going to turn us to Internet of Things for just a minute. Sensors. See, Mm. I I believe in your car, my car, the the typical car that's on the U.S. road today has about 80 sensors in it. And you see it in the terms of, you know, right front tire low. Uh, That's a sensor working for you. But if you think about all those sensors out of the cars throwing off data, and in our world, we refer to that as digital exhaust. Every transaction has digital exhaust. Credit cards have digital exhaust. When you, uh, you know, uh, make any sort of purchases, all these bank feeds, those are all digital exhaust. But Internet of Things is digital exhaust too. And the problem up to now has been, we cannot process all of the data that we get, which, you know, the, the term for that is big data. Well, all of a sudden we can use big data and apply predictive analytics to it one form of ai and we can apply generative ai to it another type of ai but more importantly for business purposes we can actually make meaningful forecasts based on current data as well as historical data yep
0: so the ability to interpret massive amounts of data is kind of the underlying thread of the book so i'm so glad you touched on that and that you that you delineated between predictive and and um non-predictive but uh that gets us to the medical piece and this this was perhaps one of the most intriguing pieces of the book and the implications of quantum computing because our body produces data points um and uh and and it does that through our fluids uh through our excrement. sorry to be crude but it, you know, it's a medical term uh it 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 does it in um in the actual existent state of our body and the the problem isn't that we can't theoretically prevent cancer from from happening or forming in our body. It's that we can't detect it early enough, right? That was the point of the book. So what quantum computers will be able to do is detect the formation of cancerous cells so early in the process. I mean, almost at the moment of their inception so that it can stimulate the immune system in ways that specifically attack The the bad cells, because quantum computers will be able to determine that inoculation down to the cellular level, and it will be able to to uh, to treat it with um, extremely specific uh, immune activities years before the the, tumor would form and years before the cancer cells start spreading and metastasizing, becoming out of control. So it's not much it's so much a cure of cancer as it is the prevention of the impact of cancer by catching it as it is infancy. And this was one of the most intriguing pieces kind of kind of gets us back to the cars, right? Cars produce data. Our bodies produce data. And what blew my mind is that in our normal function of life, just walking around our house as our body gives off data. If you've ever watched CSI, your body's your biggest enemy if you're on the run uh, if you committed a crime, because it's going to deposit data points everywhere you go, right? We're doing that constantly in our house. There, my data is all over my house, uh, skin flakes and everything else, hair. So as I brush my teeth in the bathroom, as I use the bathroom, as I take a shower, all of these data points are going into the plumbing, um, and other sensors that, that will invent. And, uh, constantly and perpetually the entire human race will be monitored for pre-cancerous cells um and they'll alert us to those when we're walking to the kitchen for our breakfast it will be that instantaneous and if that sounds like you know the world of star trek I, we you know can't stress enough the world of star trek is imminent <laughs> space travel uh, curing for for, for diseases, uh, genetic the understanding of our of our genetic makeup in ways that even the mapping of the genome was just the skim of the surface. Um, so you know, Alzheimer's was one that he brought up in in the book. Um, all of these plagues of the 20th and 21st century are going to be the stuff of history books in the decades or centuries to come. So any comments on that, Randy?
1: Yeah, and I'm going to take your, our listeners down four or five paths almost simultaneously, Joe, because I've just been waiting to jump in. the
0: spirit here. of quantum computing, you're going to go four in, paths in simultaneously.
1: Of, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've, I'll have simultaneous infinite states that we're talking about. Here. You just have to listen on, listen on different frequencies. So, that's funny. As it turns out, at Scaling New Heights this year, you might recall that in Tech Update, I talked about toilet seats and the way they measure, you know, body fluids all right that that's there for a very specific reason as you just identified number one number two in last year scaling new heights you know every year i have recommendations on books to read and one of the books i had was about genetics and jumping genes and gene folding and so forth and one of the things that you know was in the quantum supremacy book was about how genes mutate And what you just were speaking about on, let's say, cancers where so many of the mutations occur in the body so early that the number of cells that are actually the basis of cancer can't be measured with today's tests, right? But in the near future, they will be. And you might say, well, how close is the near future? I'm going to tell you, I think it's less than three or four years. And if we simply use interferon treatments that are being used for cancer today, that is precision measure medicine and that precision medicine is going to be enabled by quantum modeling and so you know this makes me super excited on lots of fronts so your listeners may or may not know i actually have a light physics degree so i'm <laughs> actually so i'm actually a light physicist so mm-hmm. you know when uh, michio uh, was talking about uh, interference patterns i can see myself at a kansas physics lab doing interferon measurements and Hmm. so this light use and the entanglement of qubits, and the ability to convey different states the the quantum capabilities of nature that's all around us including as he pointed out photosynthesis occurring at room temperatures or one of our greatest problems right now being able to and create energy. So if you think about the, you know, current uh, climate conditions and use of fossil fuels and so forth, being able to solve things like battery storage is another one that's, you know, I think imminently solvable uh, along the way. And you just start thinking about all these things, but what's it take? It takes a big old honking quantum computer that can run across these models and interpret all this data and produce results.
0: Yeah. If we got to get back to Gene Roddenberry's vision of the universe, not to super geek out here, because as soon as you mentioned Star Trek, you go into a whole new category of nerdism. But even if you're not a Star Trek fan or science fiction fan, understanding his vision of the universe is all problems um, in the future that he's created hunger, poverty, um, population control, uh, energy, are all solved through uh, extreme, extreme advancements in technology, like the ability to restructure matter at the atomic level to turn a brick into a, uh, a food item, right? Um, now, I don't think Michio is saying that we're going to be able to reorganize atoms through quantum computers in the next decade or two, but, but it does provide a trajectory for Gene Roddenberry's extreme vision 200 years from now where Star Trek is set. Um, Because once you do map, like you said, genetic our genetic makeup at the individual level of each atom, and once you can um, restructure matter at the atomic level, we basically become recreators uh, of the universe. Um, And that is staggering to think about. But for the immediate implications, it means that we can locate genes that might more likely produce illnesses like sickle cell anemia, which you mentioned in the book and fix those genetic issues um, at the genome level because of the fact that now we can analyze the data. And I want to really accentuate something that Randy said before we now turn from the positive to the negative. It's about the ability to crunch data in timetables that are manageable. So some of the examples that Michio covered in the book are, it might take us, it might take us a, a, on our normal computing power a thousand years or 10,000 years to do something that a quantum computer can do in 30 minutes uh, on an interpreting data. And that is what is going to change everything from the traffic patterns of a billion cars driving on the planet at every second to uh, you know, seven, eight, nine billion, or how many people, 12 billion, 15 billion people uh, at that time, all going to the bathroom over a 24-hour period of time, analyzing the data of the human race. All of that will be done by quantum computers, and it'll be done in minutes, if not seconds, across the globe. Um, now, let's get to the dangers. About a couple of years ago, you said and I did not believe you, by the way, <laughs> Just full transparency. Most, most
1: people don't when I make these wild claims. About no, no, I get in... it.
0: But I should have <laughs> believed you, Randy, because I was such a believer in the encryption levels of distributed ledgers, of blockchains, that when I asked you in a meeting, will quantum computers be able to break into blockchains? Are blockchains no longer safe? And you said they are no longer safe. And of course, that's all theoretical because we don't know yet till we get to the actual qubits. But, But now I believe you. After having read this book and after having learned over the last two years more about quantum computers, I believe blockchains are not safe. And they were supposed to be the ultimate and pervasive and eternal Fort Knox. So now that I've intrigued everybody with that statement... Um, What is our risk here? You're a data security and privacy expert. You watch this closer than anybody I know. What are quantum computers? What's the threat?
1: Well, we've got a radical threat, Joe, as I see it. And it does have a name called Y2Q or Q-Day. And I talked about that at Scaling New Heights this year. And it's better known as quantum hacking. So what's going on right now is the bad actors are accumulating databases of all kinds. We'll just take a simple one, like the last pass, uh, you know, password manager database, which has been captured uh, or any other database. The bad actors are going and grabbing the databases and they're waiting for the quantum tools to be strong enough that they can break uh, the, into these encrypted databases. Now the general, Statement here is there is an algorithm called Shore's algorithm that can break all current known encryptions, all the SSLs that we use in our web browsers, all the bit lockers, everything that's done to encrypt hard drives, all those things are breakable. Now, some professionals are saying that could happen as early as 2029. The current US administration has a deadline for new encryption of 2035. Well, that's too bloody late. Right, but they the NIST has uh, seen or or vetted is probably the better way quantum resistant algorithms, and among those, after that six year competition, Joe was, Crystal's S Kyber, Crystal's Dilithium, Falcon, and Sphinx Plus, and those are being analyzed right now to see if they can actually protect the data. But the net net is blockchain absolutely breakable. Anything that's encrypted, absolutely breakable. And, you know, because you and I both have diverse interests, you know, I watch it from a security perspective. I watch it from a a predictive analytics a business management perspective. I watch it from a healthcare perspective and so forth. And when I see these technologies creating vulnerabilities, my old technical programmer surfaces, because I'm a, System level programmer, and I'm thinking, oh my! Or we'll we'll go to Star Trek on you. Oh my! Yeah, <laughs> guy, exactly. Okay? And, and That's a it's, deep
0: reference right there. Yeah,
1: I knew you'd like it. But it turns out that we are exceptionally vulnerable. Now the question is, who's going to win and control this? Is it going to be individuals, which is what I thought? Uh, you know, Web three and blockchain might enable. Or is it going to be governmental units or is it going to be, you know, bad actors, the criminals? I don't know the answer, but but I know that everybody is trying to get control of this. And when we look at the AI breakthroughs and the quantum breakthroughs, Intel's been building these chips. Google's been building these chips. Microsoft's been researching these chips for years and just announced that they're starting to build these chips. Uh, there's... There, early on in quantum, there were only actually four viable companies building quantum computers, but today there's dozens. And so it will just be a matter of time before this becomes broadly available. But today you can access Intel quantum computing on a reservation basis, and you can run your algorithms on quantum computing today. And most people don't know that You know, the weather.com, which is owned by IBM, although they're trying to sell it right now, that's all based on quantum computing calculations. And you might wonder how those forecasts have become so accurate. And it's because they're using quantum models of weather. But as you also learned in the quantum supremacy book, you know, when you start breaking up the planet in these little blocks to measure today, we have to measure great big blocks and they're not very accurate. And when you start looking at winds aloft and you start cutting it into far more small uh, sections, you can actually forecast the weather. So I'll close this rant with this thinking. I had the experience in the seventies of running a weather prediction uh, product that was a hundred percent accurate and it could give a 24 hour forecast uh, absolute without error. But in the computers of the day, it just happened to run almost ten weeks. So you put in the parameters, and by the time it got done calculating it, the weather was over forecast. Yeah. But yeah. you know who cares? Yeah, who but cares? Now, if you go to quantum computing and you can run that forecast not in ten weeks, but maybe in ten minutes, which would be about or ten
0: way. seconds even, yeah,
1: and, or ten seconds even. Absolutely, all of a sudden wouldn't it be nice to know the weather forecast and maybe get the heck out of the way of a hurricane or a tornado or, you know, some other cataclysmic. Mm-hmm.
0: Event? And we're talking about at a level that, that can't be done currently through meteorology today. Um, and also a displacement of an entire field of meteorology, which kind of gets us into the last comment that I want to make. So, so first I want to make a comment to your day security. And I'm going to talk about job displacement and role displacement for humans. But, um, which is a much bigger AI conversation. Maybe we can come back and have that one. <laughs> but um I think what's likely to happen, and, and I don't I think this is unpacking what you've already said, is quantum computers are going to fight quantum computers for data security and privacy. So it's a quantum computer arms race, um, is is the way I see it. And I think what's going to cause a problem is if the bad actors um advance ahead of those that seek to protect the populace. So when bad if bad actors it's an, in in any arms race whoever gets to the finish line first you hope it's the it's the protectors um and not the bad actors. Uh and and we we watched this you and I are old enough to remember the nuclear arms race and how we we knew that the entire existence of the human race was actually in peril. A lot of people Listening to this podcast, look back on that, and it's just a note in a history. But we lived it, Randy, and um, we we know what it's like to have that kind of fear inside of us at at the you know at the marrow level um, of are are we going to be a, a species in the in the next five years? And that's again not being hyperbolic in the look back. I mean, we were really at threat, and now we've stabilized that. The arms race is has created an equilibrium that's delicate that still puts the human race at risk. But we don't think about it every day. We don't fear it every day. But I want everybody, every listener, to hear what Randy said. This is another form of that, uh, um, a a data driven, um, computerized version of the nuclear arms race, and it stands to create as great of a threat, if not a greater threat than the nuclear arms race of the 20th century. Um, now, that was a loaded, that was a loaded uh, statement. So I want to give you a chance to, to comment on that. And then I'm going to just tee up a general statement about role displacement.
1: All right. Well, Joe, that makes sense. And I'm going to just go back to scaling new heights a year ago, because at that point in time, I actually pointed out that the chip creation in China, which would do quantum computing, was advancing rapidly. Now, you may remember that all of us carry products made out of Taiwan, TSMC, if you own a cell phone, because pretty much every cell phone that we carry has parts from that. Well, what's been happening in China, CMIC has been hiring away the TSMC engineers, and they're trying to advance under the guise of AI. but also in quantum computing, their initiatives. And China has already done quantum entanglement from terrestrial up to satellite and proven that they can do quantum entanglement to a, a, well, a military satellite, as it turns out. So it, it turns out that it is super important that we understand the implications of hardware creation, operating system creation on these qubits.
0: Mm. And we have to understand we are in an arms race and Absolutely we and we are. must win. Um, and, you know, if that makes you want to cheer on Microsoft or IBM or Google because they're U.S.-based companies, um, yes, there's a certain sentiment that kicks in, you know, go win, win, win. But we have to remember that the, you know, there are bad actors everywhere. Bad actors can piggyback off of noble corporations Noble corporations have ignoble actors in them. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how it all fleshes out and and how an equilibrium forms. But I am encouraged because in the history of the human race, we've always managed to find a survival level equilibrium as we've had these these disruptive events take place. In, in in our technological and sociological evolutions they haven't been clean and we' there are a lot of injustices and a lot of death but we've always found a way to survive in an equilibrium eventually so I am uh, I remain hopeful the last comment I'm going to make and it's kind of a comment and I'll give you a chance to respond to the comment because we're out of time is uh, what what impact does this have on role replacement and really that's the larger artificial intelligence conversation um if you are a data analyst, then it's a more direct disruption. Just to warn the data analyst out there, um, your job is directly displaced imminently by quantum computers. But quantum computers combined with artificial intelligence are going to displace some of the knowledge worker roles and some of the professional roles that that we know today. And I don't think that takes anybody by surprise. We've all seen chat GPT. You've talked about it and I've talked about, Randy. So that's the reason I just want to touch on it. But the point from the context of this conversation, quantum computing is going to rapidly accelerate, exponentially accelerate it, and it's going to exponentially change the impact of it on the ability of artificial intelligence to do the work of accountancy, uh, to do the work of bookkeeping, to, to prepare tax returns, um, and to, to provide audit services. So that's not a sky is falling comment, but there are things falling from the sky and it's called quantum computing. So uh, to address that, um, I'm hoping to have Michio Kaku, the author of Quantum Supremacy on a podcast, we're working with his agency, but what we know is happening is that he is going to be a featured keynote presenter at Scaling New Heights, where he will address among other things, the impact of all of this on the professions. And also our small business clients that we're supporting. What's the impact on the uh, uh, the more labor industries, uh, supply chain, uh, you know, non professional services that may be your clients? He'll be addressing that from our main stage and taking audience Q and A. So we encourage you to come to Scale New Heights in June in Orlando if you're listening to this in time and you're that the event is still in our future, not our past. Where Michio Kaku, author of Quantum Supremacy. A real-life Sheldon Cooper, or as he might say, uh, Sheldon Cooper is a fictional him, uh, is going to be at scaling new heights. Final comment on role displacement, Randy. Do you have any on that?
1: So, Joe, the we we already know that accounting professionals using technology have an advantage over those that don't. And that's been true, frankly, for decades, but it's even more true in the days of AI. And what we're trying to get you to to think about, listen to, and be aware of is that quantum computing are going to change all types of industries, including anything that's related to data and accounting. And so you need to be prepared to shift your role. We still believe that the advisory role is the superior role to be playing here, but many of you are living too much in the past with compliance and in some cases, even client accounting services. We need to get you into the proactive advisory world, but quantum will impact every one of your clients in every one of their businesses, I think without exception. And the types of things that you do in the future will be radically different than today. So I hope you're a lifelong learner and are prepared to continue to expand your horizons and be amazed just like you were when you were a child where every day was a new day and you got up and said, wow, that is so hmm. great. And, uh, you know, embrace
0: I'm, the change and adapt. Yes, embrace, embrace and adapt.
1: it and adapt. And I'm actually going to refer to Bluey. About, you know, when Bullet uh, started out as a new baby in the Bluey episode, it's like, wow, everything is amazing. Right. Well, I'd like for you to make sure that you believe that every day is amazing because so many things around us are so amazing. And quantum, I think, has the opportunity to do so much good in our profession and it has the opportunity to do bad. As uh, you've heard me say it, mm-hmm. if you've heard me before. All technology be, can be used for good or bad, and we want to be able to advise our clients on all opportunities.
0: I love that. And just to be very specific, to give you guys a couple of touch points that will make you feel hopeful about the future, because I couldn't agree with Randy's comments more. Um, when data becomes, when accountancy becomes operational and managerial, um, like, like, like um, controllership services, a, a computer can interpret data. And increasingly, it's going to do it better and better. But it can't confront an employee over breaking a spend policy. And it can't go into the executive's office and say, you're over budget and roll up their sleeves and figure out a way with all the intricacies of human relationships to get people back and to get that division back on budget. So when we take on a more of a managerial and controllership role, uh, we're going to we're going to provide the human element that's not easily displaced by um, even the most advanced of quantum quantum computers. So, and I'm sure, Randy, we could keep going for another 30 minutes, but that was my comment to your comment. Um, it's so good to have you here. And I know you're watchdogging this for us. So I would encourage you to follow Randy Johnston everywhere, where where Twitter, LinkedIn, and uh, of course, his, his website. You can go to water.com slash podcast to know all the places that you can stay in touch with what he and other thought leaders at one of his companies, K2 Enterprises are doing as they're watchdogging this important space. Thanks for being with us, Randy.
1: Joe, pleased to spend the time. And you're right. We could talk for not just half an hour, maybe maybe 30 years. (laughs) (laughs) We really could. It's great to have you, Randy. Thank you for joining us. For more information, please visit woodard.com slash podcast.